if you take out the order of service uh, sheet, the other, the other sheet that is, the sermon notes page, you'll find there some questions and answers tonight from the Heidelberg Catechism. And tonight we want to meditate upon the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. And the Catechism here explains for us uh, the meaning of it, and we'll uh, focus our hearts and minds and our attention on uh, these answers and some, pa- uh, some texts as well. Uh, this evening for the next few minutes. So, question 105, if you'd read the answer. What is God's will for you in the sixth commandment? Not to belittle, hate, insult, or kill my neighbor not by my thoughts, my words, my looks, or gesture, and certainly not by actual deeds. And I am not to be party to this in others. Rather, I am to put away all desire for revenge. I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself either. Prevention of murder is also why government is armed with the sword. Question 106. Does this commandment refer only to murder? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder. Envy, hatred, anger, vengefulness. In God's sight, all such are disguised forms of murder. And then finally tonight, is it enough then that we do not murder our neighbor in any such way? No. By condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly toward them, to protect them from harm as much as we can and to do good even to our enemies. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you to look upon us in grace as we look away from ourselves into the face of your Son, whom you have appointed our Mediator and Savior. As all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in your Son, guide us by your Holy Spirit into the true understanding of the doctrines of Christ. May our meditation upon his truth produce in us the fruit of righteousness to the glory and exaltation of his name, the instruction and edification of this congregation, and the salvation of the lost through our witness. We pray this in the name and favor of your well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, in dependence upon his Holy Spirit and all of God's people say, Amen. Well, the Lord once said to Samuel, as Samuel was... uh, sifting through the sons of Jesse, trying to find that one son, uh, that one little uh, uh, anointed one in all those sons. And of course, Jesse looked upon, uh, Samuel looked upon Jesse's oldest son and then uh, the next son, the next son. And eventually the Lord kept reminding him and kept saying to him that uh, not this one, not this one. And Samuel said, you know, well, who's it going to be? There, there's no one left. I've gone through all the sons, the firstborn, the handsome, the strong, the tall, uh, the large, the elder, and so forth. And the Lord then spoke to Samuel and speaks to us and has spoken down the ages this wonderful truth uh, as he put his eye upon uh, little David there. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Uh, such an important uh, distinction, such an important little truth that we need to take to heart, uh, especially as we read and seek to apply 
the commandments of God. God has made us as his image bearers with bodies and with souls. We saw something of that this morning, Genesis 1. Uh, we are, we're both, we're bodies and we're souls. But so often we read the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not murder, for example, tonight. And we think to ourselves, I didn't pull the trigger. I'm good. I kept that, cam- that, that commandment. I can check that one off. I didn't stab the person. It wasn't me who pushed them off the cliff. I didn't run them over in the road, and so forth. We think merely of the outward. We think merely of the external. And in terms of commandments, we think merely of outward obedience. I didn't actually kill that person, therefore I'm good. Well, God's commandments, as we'll see tonight in these questions and answers, they go from the body to the soul, as it were. They go from the outward to the inward. They begin with the most obvious things. They move to the things that may not be so obvious to us. Because God's word pierces the soul and spirit, the Bible says. It pierces and it divides joints from marrow. It discerns thoughts and intentions of the heart. It pierces soul and spirit. It pierces joint and marrow. It discerns thoughts and intents. We think of thoughts and intents, maybe that's the same thing, but there's such a fine distinction that God's word does in our hearts that it that even, even divides thoughts that we have from the intentions of our hearts, the deep-rooted desires. And as we read the commandment tonight, we meditate upon it. Uh, again, it's important for us to, to, to know as the Lord sees, not as man sees, and man looks upon the outward appearance, just like we do with the commandments, but the Lord looks on the heart. It's important for us to remember that these commandments are all explained for us and taught to us in the Heidelberg Catechism in terms of, number one, gratitude. We've been redeemed by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. Therefore, we should love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. And then secondly, we are to do that in, a, in an overarching way in the whole course of our lives. Uh, you and I will never get to the point in this life, on this earth, before we see Jesus Christ face to face in glory. You, will, you and I will never be able to say of the sixth commandment, as an example, I have kept that commandment. And then we can move on. We will, you will never be able to say that in this life. I've kept the sixth commandment. I've never done that commandment. I've never violated that commandment. No, the Heidelberg Catechism says that we are to ongoingly uh, be constantly converted. We saw that a few Sundays ago. There's once and for all conversion in Scripture. There's also an ongoing conversion. We have already passed from death to life, yes, in Jesus Christ, but there's also an ongoing conversion. We call that sanctification. That we are to constantly be putting to death the old man in us, Adam, and we are to constantly be putting on the new man, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the commandments help us to do that. They discern and they divide and they distinguish, even within us as believers, our thoughts and our intents. And they cut to us the very deepest part of our core and our soul so that we would confess our sins and constantly run to Jesus Christ 
And then secondly, ask the Holy Spirit to help us to actually keep the commandment, to more and more love God and more and more love our neighbor as ourselves. So the Lord sees, we see the outward. The Lord sees the inward. And so we need to have that idea and that vision of what God sees and try to more and more make our eyes see what God sees. And so that we don't really look look upon the outward, but we also look towards that inward so that out of gratitude we can rise to new life in Jesus Christ and love our neighbor as ourselves. Notice question 105. It speaks to us of thoughts, words, and deeds. Thoughts, words, and deeds. Notice that sort of all-encompassing way of describing all the things that you and I can do, uh, all the things that we can say, all the things that we can think. The commandments are comprehensive. They're There's no corner of your heart that God doesn't have a claim over, in other words. Every thought, every word, every deed is to come under the commandment of God, the the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so the the question and answer asks us, well, what is God's will for us? And it, first of all, tells us in this big overarching way, number one, that that you and I are not to belittle, hate, insult, kill by thoughts, words, and deeds. Notice that. Belittle, those those are words. Hate, that typically is something that you think about. Insult, again, words, and kill. Thoughts, words, and deeds. The holistic nature of our humanity is involved in that commandment, thou shalt not murder. All All that we are comes under Jesus Christ's lordship. Notice again there, uh, not to join. Notice the, the negative part first. Negative part first, we'll come to the positive in just a minute. With that, we are not to join others in doing these things either. Isn't that what we saw Adam do in the garden? Or Eve, first of all. The Lord came, uh, comes in the garden and, and, uh, and they're covered in fig leaves. Who told you that you were naked? The woman that thou gavest me gave me the fruit and I ate it. The Lord turns to her and says, well, who told you this? Who told you that you can touch this thing and uh, that you can eat it? It's the serpent. He made me do it. All of us pass the buck, don't we? Don't we all make excuses? We, uh, we dissemble. Uh, we try to not take responsibility. And that's really what the answer is telling us. That you are to take responsibility for your thoughts, your words, and your deeds. And you, and you can't sort of like have that, that seven degrees of separation to Kevin Bacon, you know that game? Where you, you, you can trace every movie to Kevin Bacon somehow through like seven degrees of separation. You can't say, well, you know, it was that person, they were in the crowd, and I just happened to be walking by. Well, you know, it was my government that did it, but I really had no responsibility. I have no moral responsibility for anything that other people do on my behalf, and so forth. Take responsibility, the answer is saying. So that you would come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ even more so. Again, that you are not, you and I are not to endanger ourselves even. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Thou shalt not murder. We think about other people. But what about ourselves? Why would this answer explain uh, the commandment that way? Because life is precious. Life is precious. We saw in Genesis 2 this morning how God took the dust of the earth, and, and he formed this, this body, and he breathed in the breath of life. 
And it became nefesh chayah, became life-giving soul, life-giving being, life's precious. Don't even endanger yourself. Again, it's easy for us to, to say, well, I haven't done anything to him or to her or to them out there. What about yourself? You may preserve life over there, but what about your own life? God gave you life, and you are responsible for that. And again, the answer tells us of something that we may not connect usually to the, to the Ten Commandments, that prevention of murder is why the government has the sword, that language from Romans chapter number 13, where the civil authority has this sword, it's a symbol of authority, uh, to put to death those who murder others, but also to praise and to uh, lift up those who are virtuous. There's even a societal, social dimension. I know that we like to think of ourselves as as independent, sovereign beings, uh, as good old-fashioned Americans, uh, and anything that that, that seems like there's more than just me on an island, I am a rock, I am an island, right? If you think of anything else other than that, that, that's socialism. There's a societal aspect to the commandments of God. There's a, there's a sense in which all the commandments of God are not just for you and my, our own personal sins and our own personal sanctification, but there's also, uh, in, in, uh, in our in historic reform theology, there's a, there's a civil use of the Ten Commandments. They have a societal bearing. Prevention of murders, why the government has the sword. There's a social aspect as well. Now, we can, we can say, well, obviously this applies uh, to abortion. That's the, that's the easy one for us as conservative Christians, that this does apply to abortion. Thou shalt not murder, especially that, that societal dimension of it. But what about unbridled greed? That leads to the need that you and I have for cheaper and cheaper goods and so that corporations have more and more maximization of profits so that your and my 401k, our 403b, our, our profit-sharing plan, our stock account, uh, our CD, so that we would maximize our profits too. I just read about uh, Tyson Chicken. You probably saw this. Maybe you didn't. But uh, Tyson Chicken is, is now being sued because a whistleblower came out and said that, they are, that they're taking migrant, unaccompanied migrant children and they're slave labor. And some of them have died in Tyson chicken plants. Why? Because they can pay them pennies off the books so that no one else knows. And if they die, well, who cares? They don't even have any papers. We don't even know who their parents are. Why? To maximize profits. To give us cheaper and cheaper food. For them to be able to pass on their profits to their stockholders. Don't the commandments say something about that too? Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not murder. It has more than just our own personal thoughts, words, and deeds, but again, it, it applies to even sort of spheres outside of us. Don't, don't join others even doing these things. It does apply to you. Don't endanger yourself. But it also applies to the world in which we live. And we should pray that the Lord would raise up leaders that would desire to uphold the commandments of God. I mean, every society in the face of the planet from the beginning to the end uh, believes and upholds this commandment. Murder is wrong every single place. But there are lots of ways in which we wiggle out of it. Notice secondly tonight, 
It's not just about the fruits, but about the root. Again, the Lord sees differently than what we see. We see the outward. We've got to learn to see how God sees. We've got to see the inward. That's why the, the question asks, uh, does this commandment refer only to murder? Notice that. Only to murder. Only to murder. Why does it ask that question? Question 106 again. Does this commandment refer only to murder? Why, why do you think the question asks, or why do you think we were asked that question in the Hatterberg Catechism? Does it only refer to murder? Matthew 5, right? Jesus says something more about the commandments. But what is it about us that this is a necessary question to ask? We want to focus on the appearance, don't we? We want to wipe our hands clean and and check the box, I've done this. We want to, like that rich young ruler, when he came to Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit everlasting life? And Jesus said, sell all that you have, give to the poor, come and follow me. You know the commandments. He says, you shall not murder, honor father and mother, etc., etc., etc. All these, Lord, I've kept from my youth. What else do I need to do? That's why he says, sell all that you have, give it all to the poor, come and follow me. Have you actually kept the commandments of God? Have you actually loved your neighbor as yourself? Or have you loved your stuff? Because that's a way that you show your idolatry. Because you trust that stuff. That's how we act. That's how we think as sinful human beings, even as Christians. Well, I, you know, I've checked that box. I've not pulled the trigger. Uh, I've kept this commandment. I've done pretty good. I've done pretty good. My pastor in seminary once told us uh, as seminary students that uh, the, the worst, how should I put it? The thing that brought him the most anguish as a pastor after 30 years of being a pastor was visiting parishioners in the hospital as they were contemplating death and asking them, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And then hearing, after they've heard him preach for 15 years, grace, faith, Christ. Pastor, I've done a pretty good job. I gave 10% to the church, 5% to Christian school. I kept the commands. I did a pretty good job. I was a good person. That's why this question is asked. Does this commandment refer only to murder? There's more to it than what you think. It goes deeper. And you've got to let it sink in tonight. Notice it describes here the root. God hates the root. Not just the fruits, but the root of murder. Envy, which is being unthankful for who you are and and where you've been placed in life. And with what you have, with what God has given to you so that you desire it from someone else. Hatred. God hates hatred. To be unthankful for who God has made you and for, uh, towards someone else. You're, you're unthankful for what, how God has made you, but and you're angry towards someone else. You hate them for whom God has made them. Anger, like a boiling pot of water, letting it boil up and steam over and explode. Anger. Vengefulness. Getting back at people. But even worse than that. How does the Catechism describe these roots of the fruits of murder. In God's sight, all such are what? What are they again? Disguised 
forms of murder. Envy, hatred, anger, vengefulness are disguised forms of murder. I've done a good job. I've not violated that commandment. Are you sure? So much of our world today, of course, is about putting on a mask. Just go onto social media for five seconds, you'll find that out. Who puts on pictures of them crying, but only put pictures of them smiling? We never put pictures of us in our low points. It's always the high points on vacation, you know, sailing through the air of a cloud forest on a, uh, on a zip line in Costa Rica or something like that. We never put the stuff when we're totally down in the dumps, do we? I didn't take a selfie last week when I, when I felt horrible, when I was sick. No, of course, I'm going to take a selfie up at the beach, you know, on Sunday morning when it's nice, you know, and sunny and clear outside. These are all disguised forms of murder. Disguised forms of murder. And like I said this morning, we have to come to grips with this and we have to confess our sins. Hebrews 4.13, no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Be open about your sin and be honest about your sin. Confess your sins to God and do so in Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our last point. We hear here about the outward as well as the inward thoughts, words, and deeds, not just fruits, but the roots. And the commandment leads us to put on Christ. It leads us to put on Christ. So question 107 is, is the positive stuff. By condemning all these roots, God wants us, notice the positive aspects, to love as our, our neighbors as ourselves. To love our neighbors as ourselves. Look at uh, Romans 13 where the apostle reminds us that love is the fulfillment of the law. Romans 13 verse 10. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And then he goes on to say that uh, in, in that love that we are to walk properly in the daytime, not in the darkness, and we are to put on, verse 14, the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You are to love your neighbor as yourself, which is a way of putting on Christ, who loves us and has given himself for us to free us from our sins and to free us from this present evil age, who loves us and gave himself for us so that we might be a kingdom of priests to serve our God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Put on Christ. Put on Christ. To be patient, notice. Peace-loving, gentle, merciful, friendly. Who does that describe more than our Lord Jesus Christ? Patience, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, friendly towards the sinner. Even the guy with the Bernie Sanders bumper sticker? Does, do you have to love that person too? How about the MAGA hat? I have to love that person too? The red MAGA hat walking through town. Do I have to love that person as Jesus loves them? Yes. Yes, in fact, you do. Romans chapter 12 tells us, let love be genuine, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Verse 10 again, outdo one another in showing honor. Again, he says to us in uh, there in verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And then he says in verse 21, do not overcome, be, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Put on Christ. Put on Christ. Protect, he says as well, from harm. The Catechism says. Putting on Christ is to protect from harm as much as we can. Others, notice that. It says there, uh, to protect them from harm as much as we can. Now, of course, we can't do that perfectly. We don't know all situations, and we're not able to do all things. We're not almighty and all-knowing and so forth. But as much as lies within us, uh, we are to protect others from harm, from thoughts, from words, from deeds. It's not just, you know, the government's job. It's not just the church elder's job. It's my job to protect others from harm. And it's this very question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism uh, you may or may not know. It's this very part of the, of the answer that inspired our Dutch Reformed brothers and sisters in World War II to hide Jews in their houses. This very answer, this very part of the answer, to protect others from harm as much as we can. But I thought we were to honor the, the, the civil magistrate, and they're coming around rounding up people, and I, and I thought that they, that they had to lie. Well, yeah, they did have to lie. But protecting life takes precedence over a lie because they want you to lie. They want you to give up people to kill them. Protect life. Protect life. It's sort of a moralist, a moral ethical conundrum. Do you lie to protect life or do you give up to honor the government? Well, it's a hard choice, but you have to protect life. Even if you suffer yourself the consequences. Do good even to your enemies, the answer says. Do good even to your enemies. Uh, we live in a society, of course, as you know, that it doesn't matter what uh, political persuasion you are, what candidate you like, uh, everything now is ratcheted up, almost a civil war uh, proportions. Everybody is an enemy on the other side. Everybody is to be hated, to be vilified, to be canceled, and so forth, no matter who you are, no matter what you support. That's the world we live in. Do good to others, even to your enemies. Don't you think that Christians won over Romans and Jews that very way through love. Yes, they did. They did. And so this commandment cuts deep into our hearts so that we might go to the Lord asking Him to heal our broken hearts, our sinful hearts, our idolatrous hearts, our hearts that want to conceal our sins and put on a good face out there that we've really been obedient and so forth. The commandment cuts to the very deep, the very depths of our souls the thoughts and intents of our hearts that cuts down to that level so that we would ask the Lord for healing and ask Him for forgiveness. So that Him healing us, Him reviving us, we might then love our neighbor as ourself in all these various ways, outward ways, inward ways, political ways, societal ways, churchly ways, personal ways. And so let's put on Christ, brothers and sisters, Let's love even as God has first loved us. Let's pray.